Welcome back to Home Design Chat with Nancy. If you're remodeling or building a new home, you don't want to miss these podcasts. We share information about every component of your home. You'll learn about tile, appliances, cabinetry, paint, flooring, lighting. Yes, we have it all. Well, today is January 19th, and as I say every week, time is fleeting by. Today, our guest is Dan Hugo. Now, Dan is... uh, Obviously, he's my son, but he's also a computer engineer, and this year he went, as he does every year, to CES. Now, Dan is going to explain and answer a lot of my questions. So, Dan, welcome. Yes, yes, I am. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time today to uh, explain about CES. First, let's start with what is CES? What does it stand for? Where is it? The Consumer Electronics Show. Uh, this year it was in Las Vegas in real life. Uh, last year it was purely virtual, thanks to the thing. But uh, and fun fact, CES actually used to be held in Chicago, I believe, and Las Vegas separately, like two different, you know, like half and half. So it, it has been all in Las Vegas since at least 2014. That was the first one I went to. It so is you've gone every cons- year. I've gone every year since 2014. Uh, I moved to Las Vegas in 2013, so uh, just because I was here, it was easy, and uh, it is in my my up, up my alley. But uh, it's held by the Consumer Technology As- I'm sorry, yeah, Consumer Technology Association, yeah, CTA, mm-hmm. and so CES, CES 2022. So since last year it was virtual, and you didn't go, did you actually do the virtual visiting of the uh, program? I did some. Uh, however, first of all, they, they allow you to watch it for, I think up to 30 days after the, the actual scheduled event. So then I said, Oh, you know, I'll just watch no pressure. I can watch it whenever. And then before you know it, it's 31 days and you're like, Oh yeah. But, uh, the case with CES, the press, and that means the bigger, you know, pr- typical tech crunch and gadget, the verge, et cetera, all the trades in the, in the tech area, consumer tech, especially, they all get unlimited access to products and announcements and they get embargoed pre-release that they, you know, they all release on the same day because they're allowed to talk. Oh, as of Thursday, we can tell you all about the new TV, the new, you know, smart this, whatever. So you can get a really, really, really detailed, close up, up close and personal view of these new tech products and, and whatnot from the press. So the, when you go to the show, you don't have that access and it's super crowded. So the only thing I missed personally from the virtual version of the show was the uh, <clears throat> was the Eureka Park, which is my favorite part of the show in general, which is where all the startups are. Small so company. for the average person who's never been to CES, what is so great about Eureka Park? Uh, my pat answer is when you go to the big halls, the the, the convention center, and the you know the the giant booths that are <laughs> millions of dollars probably. They are staffed with usually contractors or PR, marketing, Marcom, marketing communications. And you'll see the odd person setting up meetings and whatnot. And they are there to show you what they're selling. Even if it's a new technology they're just announcing, it's, you know, hey, here's what we're selling now. Uh, When you go to Eureka Park, you talk to, and this was the case this year as well, you'll talk to the CEO, uh, the founders, the engineers, or the, the, the people that are... Not that, not that it's only engineers, but people working at these tiny little startup-sized companies that are really working on what you, they're showing you. So I, I say, 
at the main hall, you're seeing what they're selling. In the Eureka Park, you're seeing what people are making because that's them working on it and, and talking about it and being excited about it. So it's a, it's a different... It's like meeting the chef at your favorite restaurant versus, you know, I don't know. I just work here. Yeah, at the, yeah definitely. Yeah. So I understand that uh, the kitchen and bath show, which I go to frequently... Uh, we'll not be doing the virtual uh, tour this year. They're going to stick to the in-person because they said it failed last year when they did both. Did What was the problem with last year's virtual tour? Uh, well, like I said, I, for me, uh, you can... You can watch it. Usually, you know, they're not in real time. You can Well, they probably have a live stream version of it, but you can watch whatever they streamed or whatever they constructed for the virtual program usually uh, whenever you want, right? It's almost like a, a video on demand. If you watch a TV show, you yeah. can watch it when it's you know, tomorrow, next week. Do I want to sit and binge watch all of CES? <laughs> No. So I'll, I'll, oh, if I'm interested in that or I'll pick a Google announcement or a Samsung product uh, detail, what, you know, so I can pick and choose what I want. But then for me, like I said, the press usually has a, does a better job or you know, probably even more so you'll hear about the products in the days and weeks that follow the actual event. And people have a chance. Sometimes they're actually for sale and people will buy them. They'll get reviews and you'll get actual comments, not the marketing side mm -hmm. or... Uh, just, just as life happens, the, uh, the excitement of being there live when that's missing, it's like, well, I can read about this whenever I want. It doesn't have to be right. that content. Same with kitchens. You can read about the latest refrigerator this week or next year. Right. right. <laughs> so. Or you can go to a showroom and look at it too. Sure. But sure. as we talk about too uh, frequently, the advantage or one of the major advantages is the networking that happens during these shows. And if you're doing right. a virtual tour, it's just you in the living room with your computer. You know, you just uh, don't do any networking. So. Right. And that's my other favorite part about CES. So my, I, I've listed my top three. One, number one is colleagues visiting from you know, other places. Number two is Eureka Park. And number three is the odd product that I would like to see in person. Maybe if I can touch it or see it up close, but that's a distant third. Mm, I agree. So before we delve into some of the products that I was looking at from CES, I want to talk about Monogram. Monogram Appliances provides the same experience in your kitchen as it does with the Monogram chefs. Through vigorous testing, Monogram learns the limits of their products and designs them to last well beyond. Chefs in their design centers educate and inform consumers and salespeople through demonstrations on the actual products. And at events across the U.S., they let their appliances speak for themselves as celebrity chefs create real meals for the crowds. From their industry-exclusive hearth oven, ventilation system that filters and cleans the air, to their chain-driven French door oven, they can be opened with one hand. Their products exceed the highest levels of their experts' expectations and yours. Now, I've gone to one of those monogram training sessions in Chicago. I have met with the chefs. I've um, been part of their demonstration. And not everybody is lucky enough to do that. But you can go on YouTube and you can look up executive chef John Liddell, L-I-D-D-E-L-L, -L, and look at all his videos 
they're a lot of fun, and he gives a lot of uh, hints and recipes. So you can go to monogram.com to learn more or visit your local showroom to see these appliances in person. Why, today I don't have my singing voice, Dan, but anyway. <laughs> uh, let's, let's start with, I guess, from what I'm seeing, the big thing at CES always is the entertainment aspect of it, the parts and pieces uh, that they're hoping a lot of people will include in their, um, their home as far as their entertainment, their TVs or whatever. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about what an OLED TV is? What is the advantage? And all of a sudden, why are they talking about this? I, I can, especially because I used to work at Philips Electronics in the Flat Display Systems Group. Although this was back when LED was, uh, was just a dream <laughs> and we were using liquid crystal display, so LCD. So these are display technologies that can be in anything from a watch to a 80-inch television. So it's, uh, you know, they're all, they're all cross-used. Uh, so OLED, organic light emitting diodes, are uh, so LED, the classic. They're little silicone, silicon, sorry, silicon uh, in a little lens system so that it broadcasts a, a beam of light in a certain color. And for ages, you'd have uh, LED lights that were pretty much like an, uh, a red LED on your camera that says it's recording or... Uh, yeah. So, and blue LEDs were very difficult to make that they were, so they would last longer, um, so that it would be bright and white LEDs took a while, but as, over the years and decades now, um, all these technologies have come a long way and organic LEDs have the brightness, the color saturation, the, um, the, uh, life, well, the lifetime, the age you can, you can use them for much more than the classic 50,000 hours of uh, typical use. And, um, the really nice thing for television is when the, the LED, so the pixel itself, is is out, as in uh, turned off in a in a dark part of a movie scene or a uh, any any image. When the pixel is off, it's really black, so there's no light leaking around it, like in a liquid crystal display. Mm -hmm. So you get really dark blacks, and they you know inky inky blacks, and you get very nice colors. So you get a nice contrast. So when you have this image on your screen. You're not seeing, you know, fuzzy hazing and gray blacks and things. So that's a very pretty picture. And then the quantum dot now is a very, very fine pitch. So it's not really quantum like uh, quantum physics, but it's just really, really tiny. So you get really high resolution, very sharp images with really nice color and really nice blacks. So they're very nice. It's a nice evolution of display technologies and you're seeing them more and more now. So it's, it's good. It's good stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a little note here on the description that says, you can bet that this will be very, very expensive. So I'm assuming sure. they're very pricey. Uh, so it's maybe not worth it for everybody out there to run out and get this new TV until their existing one breaks down. Sure. Um, and probably, like everything else, the price is going to come down within time. So keep what you have, people, and just know that there's something better out there. And every day there's something better out there, no matter what we talk about. Um, so just quick, quick note, Philips, where I used to work, Philips Electronics sold the first commercial, you know, uh, uh, consumer level flat display for a TV. And it was $15,000. Wow. And it was, I want to say it was like a 
was like a 32 or a 37 inch diagonal 16, like a rectangular 16 by nine, nine display, $15,000. And that display today would probably be expensive at about a hundred dollars. Wow. I mean, a brand new display that size. Cause they're yeah. you know, as a TV, they're, they're just not, um, they're the va- and I'll tell you exactly why very briefly, uh, when you have a new technology like that, you, it's very expensive because you have to pay for all the research and development time. And plus when you build them, you don't get a hundred percent yield. So by now the classic, even OLED TVs, you can make a hundred percent of your production, get into products and sell them to people. The brand new, the, the, the newest and shiniest technologies, you might be getting 80% yield. And so it costs more to make. So it's the mm-hmm. way it is. TVs have really evolved. Uh, I remember many years ago, people would come out with this huge 75-inch TV, and it was um, a, it looked like a big piece of furniture. That was before the screens were thin, and you could put them on the wall. So oh, yeah. when you think about how TVs started and how they've come a long way, I know one of my clients just got a, I think it was a 55-inch in a picture frame, so it's like an inch and a half or two inches thick attached to the wall. looks like a picture because you can also program, instead of seeing black all the time, uh, artwork where you can put your own artwork on there. So very interesting. Yes. I don't know if you, do you remember we used to talk about that? As yes, a, remember I do. How, Yeah. So everything comes to pass eventually. Yeah. For me or somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for people who are wondering, can anybody go to CES or do you have to be? No. no? Almost. They, I, I guess they technically they check because you are supposed to be in the industry. Like, for example, I, I could say I'm in the kitchen and bath industry because of my association with you, even though I'm technically not. Mm-hmm. So the bar to get into CES is not raised particularly high, but it, it, there is a bar, right? You're supposed to be convincing in your... And they they claim they check. So you, you say what your, what your company is and what you do. And, you know, so whatever that means. But so technically so, it's... Will they let the builders in? or just people in the tech field? So so this is where things get a little nutty because if I'm in the uh, home construction business, mm-hmm. then clearly all of the smart home technologies and everything related at CES are in my industry. I am in that industry. So that's where it gets a little fuzzy. So like I said, the, the bar is very low. You have to pr- prove you're in the industry, but then their, their, their uh, reach continues to grow. Automotive, smart home, um, medical, food. Te- if I'm in a restaurant and there's a whole food technology pavilion, which there was, Michael Wolf was there once again with food tech from the spoon. And uh, yeah, so if are I'm in a restaurant, I'm in Are you giving him a industry. free commercial? <laughs> Uh, you, uh, good luck finding the spoon. <laughs> they do a podcast, but uh, yeah, it's tricky to, yeah, anyway. But yeah, so if I, how do you, what am I, what industry is not touched by consumer electronics, right? So it's kind of. Uh, you know, even the medical field is, so you're I'm right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you um, live and breathe and walk on the earth, you should be able to get into CES. Sure, sure. Mm. However, they don't, they do have the, the you know. Uh, uh, they have a velvet rope, I guess, right? So you have to you have to just convince someone. No, I'm in I'm in an industry that's related, and I, I find it hard to believe that they turn away um, most of the people. Maybe just for lack of maybe they maybe the story itself keeps people out. Oh, I guess I'm not really in the industry. What industry are you in? 
they may not they may not connect that that's what i'm saying like yeah, so i think there could true. be more people especially this year you know in fact i will say i contacted cta because somebody i know was looking for a badge last minute Forty thousand people i don't know if we were going to get to this later Forty thousand people were is the projected attendance after the fact now uh normally it's about 170 to 180 and uh i think 180 if you include all the exhibitors right so mm -hmm. in t all told 180 people or so this year I think people 180,000 and mm -hmm. uh this year the I, they said attendance was 40 and then they were talking about 45,000 total so i you know again exhibitors staff oh, that's, that's 40,000 and that's uh 80,000 uh, test kits for the pandemic, and that's 40,000 masks every day. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we had all that room, so I contacted yeah. them and asked if they would if they have extra badges now because they probably had 120,000 extra badges. And I, I will tell you, this was sort of humorous, if you have a moment. Uh, I had a little meetup on Wednesday morning before the show opened officially for the, the uh, non-press, the, you know, the rest of us. And somebody showed up and he had a bad, he was a, um, an Asian man. And that, that does figure into the story. Otherwise it doesn't matter. But he walks up, he's a little older. It says an, a name and a face that uh, it's, a, it's a small little picture. And he's from Kansas city or something. And I said, Oh, Hey, how's it going? And he said, uh, I didn't know you needed a badge to come in here. And I said, Oh yeah, you had to, yeah, you had to have a badge. <laughs> Okay. And he said, yeah. So I went to the, the counter to, to see how to get a badge and they just gave me this one. And I said, so wait, that's not you. And he said, no. So they basically just had a badge for an old Asian man and they gave it to him and it didn't not look, I mean, it, you know, if you were to compare, you'd probably be like, wait, that's not you, but just a quick glance. Okay. And he, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm from uh, Irvine. He's like, oh, so you just drove, you're not from Kansas city. So coming here without a badge was not quite as outlandish. So a little bit shorter drive from Irvine, <laughs> but I still found that humorous. Yeah. Well, for those who really don't realize that you and I used to do a podcast and we did quite a few, I think 60 of them. And you always had a story, no matter what we talked about. So jump right in there, Dan. I want to <laughs> move on to uh, this next item. It's a portable projector. Now, you can't see the picture because you're listening to my podcast, but they describe it as the size of a 32-ounce jar of mayonnaise, and it's on a stand so that you can move it um, so that the light from the projector could be either parallel with a table or perpendicular, shining on the ceiling. So um, unfortunately, you didn't get to see this, but I think this is a great idea. Do you want to explain the whys and wherefores of projectors? And we, we saw the price as $900, which is a little pricey. Give it a month or two, and I'm sure the price will come down. But explain a little bit about this, even though you didn't see it. I know you know more about projectors than me. Yeah, the uh, the Samsung, uh, what's the name? It's the Brett Buddy? No. No, it's just called the Samsung Freestyle Portable Projector. Freestyle. Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, and yeah, <laughs> the the size of a mayonnaise jar, and that's where somebody would say, I don't like mayonnaise. Like, <laughs> right. Okay, fine. Um, I, the mount looks similar to like track lighting in a can. Yeah. yeah so, it, so you'd basically mount this can shaped thing in a, and then it can pivot around. Uh, it's a cool idea. The, the the portable projector market usually suffers from brightness, like the, the lumens number. So getting a nice bright image from a portable projector, and in general, projectors, is always the tricky part. 
so the, the technology in projectors is called the light engine. Uh, various companies have come out with different ways of maximizing the light efficiency. So you get as much light as possible out the lens in the front instead of, because uh, if you, if you have a light bulb in a box, turn it on, the light just bounces off all over the inside of the box. So you want to have as much of the light exit through the lens and not bounce around inside the box as possible. So the light engine technology, brightness, efficiency, battery life, if it's battery powered are all where the, the, the uh, revolution is happening. And, here, as opposed to flat displays, uh, projection technologies is making nice leaps and bounds now. Uh, it's a cool idea. The the um, applications at the at the latest brightness levels and efficiencies mean that you can use this thing for your home if you want. Uh, I don't know what the lifetime is on the the, the light engine. Usually, they'll uh, like for example, a, a home projector won't last as long as a commercial projector. If you go to the theater to watch a movie, mm -hmm. you'd be the one, the one person in the theater, I guess. But the the projection systems there are super, you know, long lasting comparatively. Uh, when I say long lasting, don't anybody jump on my case because yes, the lights have to be replaced often. But the light itself, uh, if it's if it's a classic system, it's a little tiny replaceable item. I'm sure it's super expensive, but the 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 screen is much larger, distance all that. But the Bottom line is there's the commercial, the residential. Portable systems are becoming more um, more efficient, more capable, so that you could actually use it at home. Uh, maybe full-time would be a little uh, pushing it, depending on how hot it gets. But at the end of the day, you could take this thing, put it in your kitchen, and project a recipe onto your countertop. You could lay in bed and watch a movie on the ceiling if you don't want to have your neck bent in a funny way. Maybe, maybe you're homesick with a, a respiratory virus, and you want to relax and watch something on the ceiling comfortably. So a, a small projector like this can move around and be placed easily. And you can probably use it on an airplane or in a camper or a van or at a presentation. So, so they become useful everywhere. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. And the big thing, the big thing that's really making these things useful and convenient, they usually lately have a, maybe it's an Android based display or some other, you know, smart, smart TV in a box. And now you can, maybe you can subscribe to your, your Amazon TV or your Apple TV or whatever in the box, but the projector itself will adjust automatically to your screen. So if you're at an angle, it will make the image square or rectangular on the, on the screen, even if you're not square yourself. <laughs> so it'll get rid of pin cushion, trapezoid, barrel, you know, all these distortions. So if you're pointing it up at an angle at a flat wall, it will change the image so that the image on the projection screen on your wall is a rectangle, not a trapezoid. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So like we said before, it's $900. Um, they should pay me for this commercial. But I do want to bring up the fact that this also supports Alexa, like everything else. When are they going to have Alexa connected to your little toddler so you can say, Alexa, tell my kid to stop being a creep tell my kid well, to be potty trained tell my kid to say it's nap time our kids name your could kid alexa what name your kid alexa yeah. so the the um the fun part uh, funny you should mention that there was some some news i think it was about two weeks ago where one of the amazon products decided to for some reason advise a child to touch a outlet with a penny yes so the, the <laughs> It's funny. Shame on Alexa, right? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Shame. Well, we've got one more 
item in the sound department and or the entertainment department and that was a very uh I guess you want to call it a slim gym. It was the ultra slim sound bar. Now, everybody's familiar with sound bars, and this one is um, under two inches high. Somewhere I saw that description. Very low key, very small profile. You can put it anywhere. Um, Dan, describe what sound bars do, pros and cons. Got it? So. <laughs> I have built speakers, and so speakers are complicated. If you want them to sound good, you have to do some math and some uh, some nice cutting of wood or materials in general, get some nice drivers. Uh, when I worked at Jawbone, we had a very small device called the Jambox, and it was a little bit smaller than a jar of mayonnaise. And if you if you played nice music through this thing, it had a very nice bass. It sounded really good, but it had two tiny little drivers and a passive radiator for bass. And it was a very complicated um, system of tuned ports, transmission lines inside the box. So that was a lot of math to get you this little speaker. So the soundbar today is just continued evolution of the mathematics and design and uh, making the most of lower cost uh, speaker drivers, just called drivers. Uh, the use of passive uh, radiators to increase your bass response without having to have giant 12 and 15 inch dry, you know, woofer drivers. So, as you know, as with everything else, it's getting sleeker, thinner. Um, the cost is probably a little bit lower. So the price, wh whatever the price is now, you're paying for all this design effort. But in general, the the price can come down over time because the cost is coming down over time. And soundbars are kind of cool because they're basically accounting for the home theater setup that nobody wants to take the time to actually measure and set up and have a nice sweet spot for your stereo and your surround and all that. So it's becoming easier to get a really nice home theater experience at home. And everybody wants a bezel-less, zero uh, depth, zero thickness display, a speaker you can't see, um, <laughs> projector you can't see. So yeah. everything's going to be yeah. hidden away and... So well, these cool. are yes, and these are three items that I picked out that I thought were very interesting. Um, I want to just talk about Studio Forty One real quick. Studio Forty One showrooms are constantly evolving. When you walk into the Studio Forty One showrooms, you're just wowed. They have uh, they make a difference because of the variety of products from bath fixtures to cabinetry to the largest selection of cabinet and door hardware I have ever seen. Studio Forty One has a great team behind their products behind their service too. They do whatever it takes to make sure that their clients are satisfied. Visit them at shopstudio41.com. Now, I do use Shop 41 for a lot of my plumbing supplies and also my cabinet hardware and door locks. Talking of door locks, there was something that they had at CES and it was by Schlag. It was an Encode Plus Smart Lock with Apple Home Key which meant that you don't need a key for your front door. You don't need to push buttons anymore for the code. You just uh, get your Apple Watch or your iPhone and um, touch it to the, the lock that's on the door. Okay, pros and cons, Dan? We talked about this before. Uh, before the podcast started, yeah. Yes. So you, you didn't miss anything if you're listening to this. Uh, so... I mean, we, yeah, yeah, you, you get what I, I mean, so the, the, Spit it out, using, Dan. 
using your phone for everything mm-hmm. means if you lose your phone, you have lost everything. So I'll just start there. Uh, your your phone as a lock and key for everything in your life is uh, is just a risk. So I'm not a huge fan of that. Um, I will say that uh, the the lock on your door uh, is is a tricky thing. Uh, if you are in an apartment complex, you already know that you know if there's a master key or there, there's always this like um, like what is the value of this lock that I'm turning this little knob on if, if multiple people can get into it? And if you have a phone that gets hacked, if some application can somehow steal access to your phone, kind of the same sorts of things can happen. So I'm, I'm always a little bit wary when it comes to loading up your phone with more applications and more, um, more crosstalk. And the example I gave before the podcast started was if you're using your phone for gaming and for banking, then as has happened, you know, you may install some piece of software that happens to be watching for bank software activities. And so they'll try to, um, listen for your password. And these are, you know, taking advantage of security issues and whatnot. So your front door, your door to your home, um, having keys, having more than one key, having zero, have more than zero keys is already a challenge. So the more ways that people can get the keys to your house and enter, uh, the less secure it is. So I'm personally not a huge fan of this sort of, uh, of, of these, these sort of new fa- newfangled gadgets, mm-hmm. uh, you know, keys, keys are already bad enough. Keys are totally insecure. I, I have lockpicks. It's pretty easy. Now, now the world making... knows that you have lockpicks. Well, on the description for this uh, this Schlag unit, it says that it uh, presents a potential security risk. So nothing with technology that we're talking about, I mean, security-wise, locks and ring and whatever, they all have potential risk for being yeah. hacked. Um, you could uh, actually have an app to check on your oven or your dishwasher. The more apps you have on your phone, the better your chances are of getting hacked, as you've said many, many times, unfortunately. Right. So, but also, also that just the fact that you have a, a door on your house is a, is the beginning of security vulnerabilities. So mm-hmm. the more different ways and the more like less tried and true. So these smart locks and eh, they haven't been around for very long and everything is hackable. So well, that's the thing I think people don't realize. Everything is hackable. So you're not safe. So before you have to weigh the pros and cons before you decide to upload an app and, and think you're um, Mr. Techie for 2022. Think about it. Well, if you, so if you really want to get uh, paranoid, sure. look up, look up um, and it's exactly as it sounds, key bumping, B-U-M-P-I-N-G, key bumping or lock bumping, but bumping of keys. And it's basically you take a key that's cut in a certain way for a particular lock. So say a quick set or a, a Schlage, Schlage, however you want to pronounce it, depending on which country you're in. Or master. You get that's an easy one master, to say. Mm-hmm. Well, master, master locks are worthless. You can you can pick those with literally anything. <laughs> That's that's a whole, there's a there's a there's a YouTube channel I think it's the lock picking lawyer that guy does he picks everything open it's insane so key bumping you take a, a master quick set whatever you put the key in and it's cut a certain way so you get a mass a blank I think you cut them all even so it's just flat cuts 
one per pin, put the key in the lock, and then so you turn the key a little bit, and then you tap on it with a little mallet. Um, the mallet will have like a little rubber ball on it, so it kind of vibrates. It's a kind of an odd-looking thing. You'll see it in a video. And it basically bounces all the pins around in the lock, and they open. So it's like a super fast automatic lock pick. It takes moments to pick open a lock like that. So, you know, locks keep out honest people. Same with smart locks. They just keep out others, other honest people. So not only do people learn about all sorts of things having to do with their home, you're now telling people that they can go on YouTube or go to an app and they can learn how to pick locks. Boy, we've covered everything. <laughs> well, it's, I think it's important to know what you are not getting when you get a smart lock, right? Yeah. yeah. You're, you're not getting magic. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've used up all our time, Dan, as we usually do. We talk away. Um, and I really wanted to talk about the rolling tray. Um, now that I think about it, I'm not crazy about that. So if anybody's interested, they could actually go on DuckDuckGo or, you, or uh, Google or whatever they want and look up rolling tray. It's called the Labrador Retriever. Hmm. I don't like that name. Anyway, hey, thanks for taking the time to talk to me about CES. Sure. We, we did not talk about the the uh, garage door thingy. And yeah. I, on that, I'll simply say it's the 21st century. Your garage door and your car and you should all be on the same page. There shouldn't be this big surprise that you left your garage door open. It should be able to figure it out. I mean, come on. Technology should be helping us, not telling us, hey, you forgot something. And that's, you know, it should take care of you to help you out. So Yeah. I I'm still not impressed. Well, you know what? You can come back in a couple of weeks and we can talk more about technology. And by that time, you'll have a lot more to say. Probably. Right? Yeah. Well, you're never at a loss for words, Dan. Let's face it. Right. Uh... Yes. I want to thank you for um, talking to me about CES and explaining to everybody what CES is all about. And sure. uh, even though the big companies pulled out it seemed like it was worth your while to go so good Glad it was two buses me. two buses and a free ticket so yes absolutely <laughs> if i and flew across the that, country maybe not and the man from irvine i'm sure he had a good time too he, yeah yeah he seemed yeah. happy it's good times yeah. good hope everybody enjoyed today's show and please subscribe on the platform you're using to listen to these podcasts as i've said many times before podcasters depend on subscriptions and people listening Otherwise, we're just going to sit here talking to ourselves. So don't forget to share them with your friends. My podcast has been going for, I'm in my fifth year, so that's a long time. I do a podcast every week and talk about everything and anything having to do with your home. So don't keep it a secret. There's a lot of information that you can share and that you can use when you're building a home, remodeling, or if you just... I'm curious about certain things. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to nancyhugo.com. And if you have any questions for me or for Dan, and Dan, believe me, knows a lot more about technology than anybody I know, you can email me at nancy at nancyhugo.com. Dan, stay safe. Wear your mask. And everybody out there, stay safe. Have a great day. Definitely. Bye, Dan. Bye, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs>